0: what's going on everybody welcome on in to another edition of heavy sports the matt lombardo show of course i am heavy sports senior nfl insider matt lombardo coming at you live from the great city of indianapolis and in the nfl combine we have a big show on tap. Not only a little bit of what I'm hearing from out at the St. Elmo's Steakhouse, from out at Prime 47, the hotel bars around town where all of the deals, all of the groundwork for free agency is being set. We'll chat with Green Bay Packers legend and Pro Football Hall of Famer Leroy Butler, get his thoughts on Jordan Love, on the Packers trajectory in the next couple of years, and we'll break down a lot of what I'm hearing and set the stage for the rest of the offseason. But as always, if you enjoy the podcast, we have a brand new home. We have a brand new exclusive home for the Matt Lombardo show. Just go to heavy.com. Lots of great videos are being posted to heavy.com every single day. And the Matt Lombardo show is now the centerpiece of that video production. So if you enjoy the podcast, thank you for listening. Thank you for following along. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL, but you can find the podcast at at heavy.com we're making a big push to watching and having you view the podcast right there it's your one-stop shop all of the insight on all your favorite teams all the articles at your fingertips along with each and every episode of the matt lombardo show there at heavy.com so of course we're here at the nfl combine where a lot of nfl careers really get their start and joining us now is the guest who got the Lambo leap. It start none other than Pro Football Hall of Famer, Green Bay Packers legend Leroy Butler joins us. Leroy, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking the time today.
1: Always my pleasure. Uh, it's been a—it's amazing you're at the combine, and that's when it—it it really hit me that the pros was different than college
0: at the combine. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that is interesting because obviously even back in your day, it was so much different it wasn't just playing on Saturdays you know there was no NIL money back then i don't know that there was as much scrutiny on college athletes and players as there are today and i don't know that even in the recruiting process you would have to go through a lot of the medical stuff that they go through players do at the combine and then the on-field drills and the car wash of meetings with all 32 teams you know obviously there's a whole other direction i want to take this conversation into but thinking yeah. back to your first combine Leroy what was that like what was that experience like for you th- those couple days that you were in Indy? I'm so
1: glad you asked because at Florida State, I was a consensus All-American. Uh, I met Bob Hope. I mean, nice. I was like, I mean, it was I was an All-American, so you know it's a big deal. So in the media guy at Florida State, I'm 6'1 190. That's good for a cornerback. I'm like, this is great. So I go to the Combine and I get up on the scale, but I had all my clothes off. And the guy oh, was no. like, dude, you got to take your clothes off and down to your you know, stuff. I don't even remember if we had the shirt that said DB. I don't remember. <laughs> I take all my stuff off my shorts and uh, underneath the shirt. And I get up there and he just weighed me, but he didn't say anything. Then they measured me. So they measured me, he still didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden he yells it out, Leroy Butler 511 quarters, 186, or something like that. I said, Wait, 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 wait a minute. The FSU media guy, I'm looking down to him. The FSU yeah. media guy said, I was 6'1, 190. Everybody started laughing, but he was like, Listen, this is the pros, man. We get accurate weight height, and I'm like, Uh oh, because that just sounds small, but yeah. to me. I remember, I don't remember who it was, but it was a scout in there. He said, Mr. Butler, this don't mean. If you can play, it don't matter. When you're on the field, you can't even see which DB. is. They see you by making plays. That helped my anxiety go up. Because I knew I was here (laughs) to make plays. But at the time, because most kids who will watch this, they all want to be taller and bigger. But sometimes it's not really about that. I took advantage of my opportunity. So the combine really uh, – because nobody, like, sat us down and said, it's going to do this, they're going to do this, this, and this. Now your agent gets involved. And I yeah, Trainers. Cool. I mean,
0: a lot, a lot of these kids hire trainers to not only train yeah. for football, but it, it's a months-long yeah. process to train to run the 40-yard dash, the yes. three-cone, whatever on-field drills for your position. It's a completely yeah. different bear than what you had to go through coming up. No question about it. And I didn't
1: know what the wonderlick test was. And, and matter of fact, you can't even find my score because I don't remember, but I got I got there early. Who you're supposed to do it with your group. And I got there a little bit early. And at the time you could like leave early when you're done. So I never even knew what my score was. I even tried to Google it and couldn't find it. <laughs> I couldn't find my score. So I said this is not that big of a deal because feeling out doing this test, it has nothing to do with me making plays. I kept thinking what Scout told me. I wish I knew that scout's name. All I thought about is making plays, but the anxiety is the 40-yard dash for defensive backs. That's that's a big deal.
0: I mean, that's the number everybody remembers, right? That's the number, whether you're a defensive back, a wide receiver, a running back, hell, a mobile quarterback, people are going to think back to their 40 time. And and obviously, that was the beginning of your NFL career. You go on to win, go into the Hall of Fame. You get the gold jacket. You're in the ring of honor for the Green Bay Packers. But I think there's a segment of Packers fans who remember you, not for the start of your career, not even for the gold jacket, but the start of the Lambeau Leap. And I'd love to hear you're telling you the story of how the Lambeau Leap came to be and how you got started. And you started that tradition that's going to live long after, you know, Leroy Butler is even there to observe the Lambeau Leap and watch Packers football.
1: The reason why it's significant it has a lot to do with the combine because it has to do with speed. And I remember um, uh, to segue into that, uh, I remember when I ran the forty, I ran like a four six two or something like that, and I know all the other defensive backs would run like four threes. Yeah. So I said to myself, if I ever get a fumble or interception, I'm going to get run down by because I'm not real fast. So any kids watching this, it ain't about how fast you are. I took advantage of my opportunity. Speaking of the leap, I caused a fumble. Reggie White picks it up, and it's really cold that day. It, the field was frozen. And as he was falling down, we caught eye contact. I said, Reggie's going to lateral the ball. And I remember Coach Holmgren saying, if a defensive back or a, lineman, a linebacker gets a fumble or interception, don't lateral it because no one will drop it because we play deep for a reason, right? And I just remember getting it because people ask me all the time, did I have it planned? No, this is all spontaneous. And I get the ladder from Reg. I run down there and I jump into the stands. And the reason why humbly, I think it's the best celebration because you get a chance to celebrate with your fans, which right. really are stockholders. So this is the only place. In Green you- Bay,
0: they certainly are in Green Bay. Yes. They're actually stockholders.
1: Yeah. Yes. nobody else can say that you can jump up, do the leap, and go up to your owner and high five it. <laughs> and then Robert Brooks. Uh, one of my best friends, he made a song about it, and it blew up, and he actually trademarked it so no other team can use it, and he made a song called Jump in the Stands, and even the President Clinton came to Lambeau Field, and I gave him a CD. You know, the millennials, or even you, said,
0: y'all had CDs back then? (laughs) I'm not that old. I'm not not that young. I'm not that old. I remember CDs. I had a a CD collection in high school. I'm embarrassed of what was in it, but I had the CD (laughs) collection back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's a big deal. The
1: fans are just truly amazing. That's the best way for us to pay homage to our fans, show them how, how much we love them. The more leaps you do, the more love you can give your fans.
0: Absolutely. And his Twitter handle is at leap thirty-six. So you keep it simple and keep it, you know, on, on brand with the tradition. Leroy, I want to fast forward a little bit to this current Green Bay Packers team and their situation. And you're obviously plugged in there and, and, and you're a media mogul on top of everything else. How significant is their need at safety? Because you look at Adrian Amos is entering the final year of his contract, Darnell Savage is there. But if you're looking in 2023, 2024, 2025, and beyond. How, how important is the need at safety? How big is the need for Green Bay at that position right now?
1: Well, if you look at the last, what, five classes, I think, or four classes of the Hall of Fame, my safety went in pretty much every year. Yeah. So people starting to say, you know what, this position is very important. So Donnell Savage was the first-round pick, and I think he was – between a safety and a corner. He's just an athlete. Well, we're we'll him at safety. And he didn't fare very well. Then they brought in Ford, uh, kind of a journeyman, a young guy, who played pretty good, especially against the Dallas Cowboys. He played very well. But that position need to be upgraded for sure because if you think about all the, the plays that they gave up, you know, the one game, the Detroit game, you know, Jared Goff was able to go over the top because – those guys weren't athletic enough to stop what we call explosion plays. So yeah. safety don't necessarily need to be four, three, don't need to be six, two. You just need smart guys to take advantage of the opportunity and make sure everybody's lined up properly and be a don't be a great hitter. Be a good tackler. Just get the guy on the ground. Because if the guy gets to you, he's already went a long way. Because you're already the last guy. And I always say safety is important because it's the only position. When you look behind you, you see the goalposts.
0: Right. Last line of defense. Yep. Everybody can get help, but you can't. So it's very important. Yeah, man on an island. And, and, you know, historically the Packers aren't necessarily big players in free agency. Historically they draft better than probably two-thirds or more of the franchises in the league. Mm -hmm. But when I look at a guy like Jesse Bates out of Cincinnati, he's going to be the top safety available. But the the other argument is that – it's a really deep safety class. This isn't a great draft overall, but it's a really good safety draft class. I've had a couple of executives tell me that that's one of the positions you can get a guy throughout the draft in this year's class. So if you were Brian Gutekunst, if you were an area scout in that organization, are you saying, hey, let's draft a guy that we can have control for four years? Or are you saying, no, let's go get the proven vet. Let's get Jesse Bates. Let's drop him into this defense. Well, What do you think is the best course of action there at that position for the for the long run?
1: As long as Aaron Rodgers is there, you got to play for now. You got to go out and sign uh, free agent safety for two to three years and try to win it all. Because draft and development only works. If Jordan Love take over, then it makes sense to draft some young guys. I mean, they're on a fast track to win a Super Bowl. Last year, you didn't even make the playoffs. But if you're going to tell the fan base, well, Aaron Rodgers is going to be around based on his contract for two years, then you got to try to build up the offense. And I say, maybe take, I would love to see them, I don't know what pick, uh, athletic tight end, but sooner or later, you have to do something at safety. And sometimes you got to, you know, if you really like a guy, though, if you really like a guy like the young man you're talking about, Bates. Then you take him, and then you just hope he can be one of these guys. You're like uh, Kansas City played like seven safe seven rookies yeah. in the Super Bowl. Sometimes these guys are ready to go. Like uh, Quay Walker, he was ready to go. He right. started from day one. So if you can get a guy like that in your scouting department and you're at the combine, which I'll go ask your opinion, I don't like the fact that coaches aren't there. That's a head-scratcher to me because I think the coaches – to see these guys, to meet these guys. I think the reason why I went in the second round in my meeting, they put me on the chalkboard and they was asking me questions, not scouts. Because scouts to me, talent, X and O's, coaches. When a defensive back right. coach asks me specific questions about rotation, coverage and things of that nature, they can gauge whether or not you'll be ready or not.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I agree. And I mean, every year, let's say that a quarterback gets drafted early and he turns out to be this great player two or three years down the line, you're not seeing teams share the video of their meeting at the combine where they have the guy go up and diagnose a certain play for, from college or, or, you know, something that stood out in that meeting. So yeah, I agree with you. The, the coaching staff's not being here. I think it really, it really short changes that, that evaluation process. And I know you get visits and you get to go to pro days but there is something to being here. And, and, you know, you brought up Jordan Love. You brought up Aaron Rodgers. From your mm-hmm. connections, Leroy, what are you hearing about how the Packers feel about Jordan Love? Because it almost feels like it's getting to the point of, okay, we drafted this guy in the first round. Mm-hmm. Similarly to drafting Aaron Rodgers and letting him sit behind Brett Favre for two years. Mm-hmm. It's almost getting to that point of do it or don't do it when it comes to Jordan Love. What are you hearing in terms of how they feel about him as a potential long-term solution? Be
1: ready to go. He's ready to go. He's yeah. ready to go this year, next year, wherever. He's ready to go. He's committed. He's already working out. He looks fantastic. There's no more questions. He's ready to go. Now, Aaron was a little bit more ready after three years on the farm. But when Far went to Waffling, Ted Thompson said, enough of that. Whether Aaron is ready or not, I want to find out. Yeah, and they only sure. won six games Aaron's first year starting. But you can see that it was time to move on at some point. I don't think Jordan Love should be like this, though. I don't think that when Aaron says he's coming, he's going to play this year, I don't know if I would ask for a trade. I really don't. I would let it play out because the last two years, Aaron didn't know if he wants to play or not. This is the best situation for him. If he goes to somewhere, if he asks for a trade, say he asks for a trade, because he wants to play. I don't blame him. You go to another place, you got to learn a new offense. It's all these questions. And now you got to start from scratch. And he probably will succeed. But if you stay in Matt LaFleur's offense, that he's been there for three and a half years, when he get the keys to this franchise, he's ready to go. There's no more questions about Joy and Love. Nothing. I don't want to read or hear nothing about if he's ready. I haven't seen enough. You ain't supposed to see the backup quarterback because you think the starter is going to have an amazing year. But if your starter's not there, if you don't know if he wants to play, I mean, I could have saved Aaron a lot of money. He could have stayed in my basement. <laughs> I don't want to charge him 36000 I don't know where he went, Oregon or whatever. He could have just stayed down there, sent him some food down there, text him, you okay, i You going to turn the
0: lights off? You would to turned the lights on yeah, dark form. Everything they did,
1: everything. I would, told them all kind of Bible scriptures, and I mean, I can't give them no ayahuasca none of that synthetic. <laughs> what I can give them some Jesus, and that's free. It that to free your mind. So, and I'm having fun with it, but joy love ready to go.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because you, you listen to Brian Gudekunst here and just the tone. It seems like there's a lot more excitement about Jordan Love at this point maybe than there's been in the past and maybe a little bit less towards Aaron Rodgers based on how the last couple of seasons and how the last couple of off seasons have played out. And I guess that when you look at that situation, regardless of who the quarterback is, how do you avoid getting stuck in limbo? Because, I mean, they went down to week 18 this year. You know, with the playoffs on the line, they didn't make the playoffs. You know what happened against Detroit happened on Sunday night. Uh, there were some great young receivers and Romeo Dobbs, and obviously Christian Watkins. But but how do you avoid that that scenario where you're stuck in limbo, where you have some veterans over here, but some young players over there, but a roster that isn't ready to compete? How do you how do you choose a lane between rebuilding and going for it?
1: Well, sometimes the thing about Ted Thompson, he always did both because he had his yeah. quarterback. So he put that aside, and he built this roster. Pretty much all the first round picks were on defense. And when people say, "Well, Aaron Rodgers never had a first round uh, pick at wide receiver," well, I mean, you really don't need that if you got guys you can get in the second round: Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, you know, Randall Cobb, and these guys. They those guys, all those guys, put up big numbers. You just need a guy not to turn the ball over and run the offense. And with everything on the line, I, I want to know why you got swept by Detroit. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Because you make it in the playoffs, anything can happen. So what you try to do is build your roster based on the top. So let's look at the top. Aaron Rodgers gonna count like forty million dollars if he if they trade him, and thirty one million if he stays. So it, it's, it's a lot of money. Okay, you're gonna be in salary cap hell in a few years now they redid a couple of contracts to make it better uh aaron jones uh jair alexander and uh 91 big 91 uh uh defensive uh, linebacker so preston smith so guys are reworking their deal and these guys all said yes i will rework my deal yeah but one guy Hasn't said, hey, you know what? Not only am I committed, but let's work a deal out to where I can, you know, give you some salary cut relief because y'all the, committed. The Tom to Brady that.
0: effect, right? The Tom Brady effect of taking less money to, you know, build around him. You haven't you can, you haven't seen
1: that. And you can do both with uh, Patrick Mahomes sign a big deal. But if you look at it, they were able to do some other stuff because they got signed yeah. Chris Jones. They let, they let Tariq Hill go but they're keeping their core guys. But again, the team is committed because we're called title town for a reason. So, and I think, and back to what you picked up with Gutekunst, he's went as far as I've seen him. Normally, we want Aaron to come back. Uh, he's our guy, but it's like, he's a great player, but everything's on the table. I don't think that's a shot of cost to bow, but you need to let me know what you're going to do because I got work to do. So I gave him a standing ovation. I gave Brad Cook a standing ovation. Yeah. So they've been very silent through all this, everything Aaron has said on the McAfee. Shout out to Pat McAfee. And, you know, they've been very quiet, very quiet to give give him time, but hey, man.
0: Oh, well. I'm with you. And we've talked a lot about the quarterback position, a lot about Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. And obviously that that's where it starts and ends in a lot of respects for the Packers and the direction that they're going to take. But when you take your 30,000 foot view of the Packers right now, if I mm-hmm. twisted your arm and I said, Roy Butler, who is the X factor on that roster who doesn't play quarterback? Who's the guy that, that's going to make big strides in 2023? Who's going to be key to the Packers success? Your answer is... I got two guys that are impactful. Number nine
1: can be, he don't get, Christian Watson don't get the the volume of the top receiver. Like Devontae, he's going to get 160 targets. He don't get that many targets. He don't need that many. He's going to lead the league in average yards per catch. He may even lead the league in touchdowns in the future. If he ever got anything like 80 or 90 catches, you're talking about the Justin Jefferson numbers now. That's how good this kid is. He's amazing. On jet sweeps, he affects the whole defense. So he I'm so excited for number nine. And the other 23. What Jair Alexander has done on defense, just the one game against Justin Jefferson. He's a shutdown corner. These two guys make you think the future is so bright for the Green Bay Packers.
0: Speaking of the future being right, we started the conversation with your past and your combine trip and the Lambo leap and, you know, instituting all of that. Let's talk about Leroy Butler's present and future before I let you go. I want to know what you're doing. I see all the memorabilia, all the gear in the background. You got a great <laughs> backdrop there for a podcast. It's a shame you don't have a podcast to talk Packers on, huh?
1: Yeah, I got my A.J. Dillon uh, pull-up. I love A.J. Dillon. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> Um, I got some Aaron Jones stuff coming because I saw him on a cruise. Um, I started uh, Leap Vodka uh, right in the pandemic. And uh, me and um, some of the guys got together, and we did a Hall of Fame label when I was able to get in the Hall of Fame. And um, one of the biggest things I'm proud of is my Leaping Lemonade because I did that with one of the Brewers' all-time greats, Robin Yowt, because he had a Lemonade, we combined it. And now we're gonna work on a national distribution. So you better get that anywhere. And for me, I think the biggest brand is because I played for one team and one fan base. That makes it so much easier. It really does. It's about your legacy. And my legacy is solidified because I took three pay cuts to stay with the Green Bay Packers. But one day I wanted to do product placement. And again, if you're not a Brewers fan and you're in this state, we look at you like, really? We're the smallest market. We have the best stadium. So I'm a big Brewers fan. And we just Wisconsin as a whole support the Green Bay Packers and our teams. That's why when you hear about the combine, it's really a year-round thing. Because I'm gonna tell you something real quick. The economy here is all wrapped around the Packers. When they're winning, everybody makes money. But when they're <laughs> losing, oh man, you put up everything. It's like ghost town. So hopefully they can get back on track.
0: So I was being facetious because I, when I say it's a shame you don't have a Packers podcast to talk about. You got the great backdrop there. I mean, yeah. you do this for a living too. So yeah. so tell the people about the podcast. Where can they find you? How can they follow you on social? All that good stuff.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Leap 36 podcast. I do it with former Packer, former Badger, Gary Ellison. We were on the radio for about 10 years in Milwaukee. So when that ended, uh, we started the podcast we're up to like 10,000 subscribers. We're trying to get up to your level. Uh, that's in the hundreds <laughs> of thousands. But we, have a, we talk mostly Packers, Bucks, but if you want Packers, if you want any of the inside talk, we have it. And we're so proud of it because we're doing it independently, not having the big corporation behind us yet. I guess we're too small. Hopefully that'll change. But wherever you download your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Please give us a listen. If you're a big Packer fan, I really hope you just give us a If you just like sports, you know, because we talk about, we argue about a lot of things. We don't agree on a lot of things. It's like grumpy old men and grumpy old men arguing about sports, like the barbershop.
0: You're but, like the two old dudes in the Muppets up in the, yeah, exactly. uh, in the suite, right? <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. Because he loves Michael Jordan and I love LeBron James. Of course you do. Of course. And you guys are going to do hours on on, on that debate. You walk into any NFL locker room. Yeah. I'm going to give you a tidbit here. You walk into any NFL locker room, if you want to start a conversation, yeah. stand in between two dudes in that locker room and ask them Michael Jordan or LeBron James because then you'll be you'll waste the entire 20 minutes, but you'll get these guys going and it'll be entertaining as hell as I'm sure the podcast is. He's Leroy Butler. Follow him on Twitter at Leap36. Check out the podcast. Leroy, appreciate the time I'm in and best of luck on the vodka, the lemonade. I got to get my hands on both and we'll talk to you further off the road, my friend. Thank you so much. And tell
1: your producer, it was a pleasure setting this up. Tell him I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Man, what a fantastic conversation with Leroy Butler, pro football Hall of Famer. And I think the biggest takeaway from that conversation is he's all in on Jordan Love. And it sounds for the first time like the Green Bay Packers might also be getting ready to move in the direction of moving off of Aaron Rodgers and on to Jordan Love. And listen, it's about time. And I don't know that I necessarily blame Brian Gutekunst after kind of the antics of the last couple of seasons from Aaron Rodgers. When you look at the, will he, won't he come back? Is he committed or isn't he to the green Bay Packers? And they invested a first round pick in Jordan love. And it really feels like it's now we're never time for the green Bay Packers. Either you rip the band-aid off. If this is what Rodgers decides, or maybe they decide on their own. Listen, if you want to play We'll trade you to the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll trade you even to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the AFC South. We'll move on. We'll go and we'll get our draft pick compensation. But We have to move on to our first round pick because when you look at the receiving core, it's a young receiving core that love can grow with. There's some talent on the defensive side of the ball. And if we're being frank and we're being honest, Aaron Rodgers, wasn't that great last year. Aaron Rodgers might not have more than two good years left in him at this elite level, whereas Jordan Love, you have to figure out whether you're going to commit to him for two, three, four more years pretty soon, and this would really be the year to do it. And the Packers aren't in any position to draft a quarterback, but some teams here in Indianapolis are. And just as most of the teams, what's really interesting is that 12 coaching staffs has decided that they're not going to come to Indianapolis. They're not going to come to the combine. They're just going to review the film on tape back at the facility. They're going to focus on other things, but most of the league is here. And while all of the eyes of NFL Network and a lot of the fans are zeroed in on C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young throwing and whether or not these top prospects are going to be taking part in the drills and what we're going to be hearing from the podium and coaches getting the insight from the medical evaluations and the meetings that they have in the hotels this week with these players gathering all the intel they can ahead of the NFL draft, what really – this week is about it is shifting into overdrive the NFL offseason. Free agency is like a week away, legal tampering gets underway next Friday. So, you have all of the agents of the top free agents here in Indianapolis. Every general manager is here. So, you're having you know dinners are, are, are being you know set up to lay the groundwork of free agency deals. You're, you're starting to determine the value of these free agents when the offseason officially begins. And you're starting to hear some interesting nuggets from a handful of teams. And on Tuesday morning, the general managers that are here, the head coaches that are here, they held their press conferences. They held their availability over at the convention center. And there were some interesting takeaways. And I think maybe the most interesting was just how frank and honest Giants general manager Joe Shane was about what they have in front of them this offseason with both quarterback Daniel Jones and running back Saquon Barkley Mm -hmm hitting free agency at the same time. And I thought that it was pretty interesting that Shane used the term, quote, cautiously optimistic when it comes to both of them. And there's a really interesting dynamic here that the franchise tag is probably in play for both of these as a fail-safe, right? I don't think that the Giants have any interest in using the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley, but it's certainly on the table for Daniel Jones, And it's one of the options that Shane has for Daniel Jones, as it should be. Quarterback and Daniel Jones should be the priority for the New York Giants. And now we talked about this last week on the podcast. I don't think that Jones is going to command 40 to 45 million dollars. I don't blame him for asking. We touched on this. That's where the negotiation starts. If you're Daniel Jones's side of the table, you ask for top of market and you see where it settles. I think it's going to settle somewhere between, they've been consistent about this 35 to $37 million. Now, whether that's a three year deal or a four year deal remains to be seen. But I do think, as cautiously optimistic as Joe Shane is, I think the tag is very much on the table when it comes to Daniel Jones, not just as a fail safe of if they can't get a deal worked out before the deadline that they have him locked in for one year, 32 and a half million dollars. But if they can't get a deal done, then they tag him and they keep the negotiation going to try to spread out the damage of that cap. Because on the franchise tag, that 32 and a half million dollars, that's guaranteed for one year. And you're taking that lump sum against the cap this year. So I think there's a very real scenario where the Giants wind up tagging Daniel Jones at 32 and a half million dollars and then work out the long-term deal from there. Because Shane admitted as much, they don't, they're do not they not happy with their depth along either line, defensive line, offensive line. And if you're going to sandwich $32.5 million on one year, it's hard to get better that way, hard to get deeper at that position. So we're going to know a lot more over the next week about the Giants' situation. But it really feels like all options are on the table for Daniel Jones, including the franchise tag, even for the short term. And obviously the Giants and every other team across the league, they're trying to get to where the Kansas City Chiefs are as Super Bowl champions. And I thought it was really interesting. Andy Reid was pretty deliberate about this, that he expects Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore to both take on expanded roles next season in 2023 and be a bigger piece of the Kansas City Chiefs offense next season. And it really is impressive to me looking at what Kansas City was able to do at the wide receiver position. Of course, they traded away Tyreek Hill last offseason, and there was a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of concern about, you know, what is that going to do to Patrick Mahomes' MVP caliber ability? How is that going to change what the Kansas City Chiefs do on offense? They go out, Mahomes has the best statistical season of his career, even without his most prolific and explosive weapon. And they go out to win the Super Bowl. But when you look at Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony, both of these guys make game-altering, outcome-deciding plays in the Super Bowl. So they're capable of making big plays in the biggest moments. You think about Tony returning the punt down to the four-yard line that effectively put the game on ice, and Sky Moore catching a touchdown. These guys are 22 years old and 24 years old, respectively. They're not going anywhere. And with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, they're going to continue to get better. And the more reps that they have in OTAs and mini camp and training camp, they're only going to build on that chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. And when you look at Andy Reid and what he said at the combine, it sure sounds like Kadarius Toney and Sky Moore are going to be Patrick Mahomes' top targets for at least the next half decade and maybe more than that, maybe longer than that. And someone else around the league who's in line, it sounds like for an expanded role is Bills running back James Cook. Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager, didn't mince words at the podium. He was pretty effusive in his praise of James Cook, and they think that the Bills do that. the best days for James Cook are in front of him. He flat out said he expects an expanded role and more touches, not just carries, total touches, carries and catches an expanded workload from James Cook. And when you talk to people around the league, this is a guy that got going down the stretch for good reason. And one of the reasons why the Bills kind of went through that down spell in the middle of the year was they couldn't really get him involved in the offense. And and nobody has really grabbed that bull by the horns in that backfield and become the bell cow in Buffalo. That just hasn't happened. They have some nice pieces. Obviously, Isaiah McKenzie is a player. Obviously, Devin Singletary has playmaking ability. But James Cook has every down workhorse potential. And it sure sounds like Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean expect James Cook to take a big step forward next season. And after all, he averaged 8.7 yards per catch last year. He rushed for 500 yards. And this is an offense for as often as they push the ball deep with Stefan Diggs, as much as Josh Allen is a threat with his legs and with that cannon of an arm, you have opportunities in the running game because of how you stretch safeties and secondaries out. James Cook could really be on the verge of becoming a Saquon Barkley type of running back in Buffalo. And look, if, if the Giants let Saquon Barkley walk, I could certainly see Barkley being a fit with the Buffalo Bills. But With James Cook already in the fold, I don't know that they're inclined to pay $10, $12, $14 million to a Saquon Barkley when they have a similar back in James Cook already there. So that's some of the buzz from the Combine from the early part of the week. But the biggest storyline of this Combine is Derek Carr. And as much as we talk about this being center stage for the prospects, and this is their opportunity to put their best foot forward, the New York Jets are using this time, and a handful of other teams are too, to get to know who they think could be their next franchise quarterback. And of course, the news broke via NFL Network on Monday that Derek Carr is coming to Indianapolis, that he's going to meet with teams while he's here. And the NFL Network reported that the Carolina Panthers are one of those teams. Joe Douglas said at the podium that the Jets will meet with Derek Carr after having, quote, an extremely exciting and optimistic meeting with him in New Jersey before even coming to the Combine when he visited last week. And what I thought was fascinating was Joe Douglas saying that even though He couldn't say this because of tampering, right? Because Aaron Rodgers is still under contract. Even though they're very clearly still monitoring the situation around Aaron Rodgers, they're very much monitoring Jimmy Garoppolo and what happens there in San Francisco, that they are prepared to pull the trigger when they need to on Derek Carr or any quarterback. So if that meeting goes well in Indianapolis, if Derek Carr comes here and says, I want to be a New York Jet, I want to... Play alongside Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. I want to play in New York. It sure sounds like the Jets are ready and willing to pull the trigger. And I think if I'm just handicapping this race, I think the Jets are still the leaders in the clubhouse. But it's interesting that Carr is coming here. It's interesting that he's taking meetings, and there are a couple fits, especially in the AFC in the NFC. Sorry, Thomas. And there are a couple of fits that I find really interesting, especially in the NFC South. And I think the Atlanta Falcons make a lot of sense because Arthur Blank is the type of owner who isn't afraid of writing, pardon the pun, a blank check because of his net worth and because of the obvious need at quarterback and opportunity. And they have a young core there. They release Marcus Mariota on Tuesday. They have Kyle Pitts, who's an all-pro caliber young tight end. They have Drake London, who has all-pro potential at wide receiver. The NFC South is wide open. And that's why I think that the Falcons could make a play here. And similarly, you can make an argument for the New Orleans Saints. We know Derek Carr visited there. He didn't want to get traded there, obviously, because you don't want the team that's acquiring you to give up draft capital. You don't want to give the Raiders the opportunity to better themselves by trading you. You don't want to give them the satisfaction or the ability to get added draft picks when they've moved on from you, especially the way they did unceremoniously at the end of the year. But you can make a pretty strong argument that the Saints are a great fit for Derek Carr as well, with Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara. And obviously, it's going to take some Herculean salary cap gymnastics to make something work in this situation. But the talent's there. The team and the talent are in place for them to make a run in a wide-open division if that's where Derek Carr chooses. And it was reported that Derek Carr is going to meet and visit with the Carolina Panthers. We know that that visit is out there. And a good friend of mine and former colleague in a past life, Mike Kay, brought up a really interesting point about that particular meeting, that the Panthers can drive up the asking price for a team like the Saints, like the Falcons, just by showing interest, just by sitting down, just by having a conversation. They can drive up a bidding war by giving the perception that they're involved in making another team, a division rival pay more against the cap for their quarterback, for Derek Carr, even if they're not necessarily all in. And I don't know that they are all in. I don't know that the Carolina Panthers make as much sense as some of these other teams for the Panthers' sake Mm -hmm. or for Derek Carr's sake. Because think about it. Frank Reich is a bit of a quarterback whisperer. I I think it's one of his greatest strengths as a coach. And you saw it in 2016 and 2017 with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz played the best football of his career when Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator and John Filippo was his quarterback coach because they coached him hard, and those guys are really good at developing young quarterbacks. Well, Frank Reich hasn't had the opportunity to develop a young quarterback since Carson Wentz, who had an MVP-caliber season before getting hurt in 2017 in Week 16. So think about it. Reich leaves Philadelphia, takes the Colts' job. Shortly thereafter, they trade – For Carson Wentz. That doesn't work out. So they trade for Matt Ryan. So I don't know that Derek Carr makes a lot of sense because the Panthers aren't a band aid veteran quarterback away from making a run. I like the pieces they have. I love the running game. I think there's a lot of talent on defense, but they're not a Derek Carr away from going to and winning a Super Bowl. And I don't know that Frank Reich is necessarily interested in a band aid situation after what happened slapping two band aids on back-to-back, in Indianapolis. But those are kind of my two cents based on what I'm hearing on Derek Carr and reading the tea leaves just a little bit. But one team that has an established quarterback situation is the Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts. And, you know, you look at what what has played out there. They've now lost both of their coordinators, Shane Steichen, goes to Indianapolis as the head coach of the Colts. And Jonathan Gannon goes to Arizona and takes the head coaching job there. They've had to replace both coordinators. And they promote Brian Johnson from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. And I think that's a colossal win for Howie Roseman, for the Philadelphia Eagles, and most of all for Jalen Hurts. Because you keep continuity of the staff. You keep continuity of the scheme. And when you talk to offensive-minded head coaches around the NFL, when you talk to present quarterbacks, former quarterbacks, they'll tell you. Continuity and scheme and coach matters at that position, maybe more than any other. And Jalen Hurts had a pretty strong case for MVP this season. He had a really strong case as the Super Bowl MVP, despite being on the losing team. He outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl. So you now don't have to go and reinvent the wheel. You now, after two years in the same system with Nick Sirianni and with Brian Johnson working directly hand-in-hand in in developing Jalen Hurts, you don't have to institute a new system. You don't have to install a new offense, new terminology. You don't have to go through the getting-to-know-you phase of offensive coordinator and quarterback and figuring out how to use him best. You have that in place here. And even before the regular season ended, when I started having really preliminary conversations with sources around the league, hey, who are, forget the, the, coordinators who were going to become head coaches, who are the position coaches who are the next offensive coordinators, the guys that in 2024 and 2025 were going to talk about head coaches in that cycle. And the name that kept coming up was Brian Johnson, the Eagles now offensive coordinator. He's perceived as an up-and-coming bright offensive mind inside the league, and Howie Roseman got to keep him in place. The Philadelphia Eagles got to keep him in place, and I think that that's a really big win. Really enjoyed the show. Really had a lot of fun. Great conversation with Roy Butler. Hope you enjoyed that. Check him out. Follow him on Twitter at Leap36. Thanks, as always, to Thomas Darrow. My producer does a tremendous job each and every week getting this podcast up and running from behind the glass. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please go ahead and check it out on heavy.com. Look at all the insight there. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. You can read me each and every Wednesday on heavy.com. Heavy in the Trenches is the national column. It goes live every Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.